Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began to defend himself. Indeed, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is what I did in Jerusalem. With authority received from the chief priests, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being condemned to death. By punishing them often in, the, in all of the synagogues, I tried to force them to blasphemy, and since I was so furiously enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities." With this in mind, I was traveling to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests when at midday along the road, Your Excellency, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and my companions. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. Goads, I asked. Who are you, Lord? The Lord answered, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that you may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For those of you who have not been with us the last few weeks, uh, we're really right in the middle of a worship series that you can see on the cover of the bulletin is called Easter Encounters, uh, Lessons from the Risen Christ. What, what we're trying to do, Easter, you see, is really the season between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. It's the 50 days in between. And what we're doing is we're looking at uh, different people who encountered the risen Christ during, you know, those days following his resurrection. And so um, we're going to be looking today at Saul, who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul, uh, his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, what's interesting, this uh, scripture that uh, Carolyn just read for us, um, it's recorded by Luke, who, write, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Uh, but they're the words of Paul. And w what it is, Paul is... Um, He's basically on trial. Uh, they have arrested him in Caesarea, uh, Philippi, and they... Um uh, he has told them that he's a Roman citizen, so he doesn't want to be tried by the Jewish authorities. He wants to be tried by Roman authorities. And so uh, he has basically appealed uh, to the Roman Empire, and now he is standing before King Agrippa. Uh, he's the Roman emperor in, in that region, and, um, and he's testifying before Agrippa, and he is basically giving his defense. And so he's telling about how he, how he grew up as a Pharisee and how he became uh, really a Christian. And so that's what, that's what you get in this scripture. And that's what we're going to be looking at as he describes his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. So let us, uh, let us be in an attitude of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this uh, scripture that you've given to us. We pray now in these few minutes that we might uh, understand what this encounter of Paul with you, what, what that means for us today. What, what did he learn that he could teach us? So help us, Lord, to, to open our minds and our hearts and our ears to what you have to say. 
Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, let me be very clear about this. Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, was a religious man. He was a very religious man. In verse 5 of this chapter 26 of um, Acts, which was not part of our reading, but you're welcome to go back to your Bibles and and look this up. In verse 5, he says to Agrippa, I have belonged to the strictest sect of our religion and lived as a Pharisee. Now, mind you, as a Pharisee, that means he knew his scriptures forward and backward. Pharisees felt like they had the responsibility to protect the law, the Torah, first five books of uh, our Old Testament. And the Pharisees were extremely religious. They, they really, they had other laws that prescribed how they were to live out every moment of their lives. And it was very important to them, they felt, to protect the law. And so by Paul, Saul, saying that he was a Pharisee, he's saying a lot about who he was as a person of faith. He, he may also have been a bit insulated from other viewpoints because he grew up in, in Jerusalem. In verse 4, he says, All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, a life spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. So imagine, here is this religious boy growing up in a community of like-minded people who are raising up this child to become a Pharisee, who really becomes a leader among the Pharisees. So, you know, he's kind of insulated. He's probably not getting a lot of other viewpoints from other people, other, other religions, other cultures. He knew what he believed And what he believed, he believed strongly. You might as well call him a zealot. A zealot. And like many zealots today, he was enraged by opposing views. Do you know any zealots? Do you know what I'm talking about? He felt compelled to protect his faith from people and ideas that he saw as threats. If somebody had, a, had an opposing view or had a different view of the law, he was, he, that just kind of really got his gall. He, 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 was, he was enraged. In verse 10, he says he locked up many of the saints in prison. He locked up those who were followers of the way, followers of Christ. He even says he tried to force them to blaspheme So in other words, it wasn't just simply that he was listening for people that were uh, sharing ideas of their religion that was blasphemous, but he was actually kind of setting people up kind of like a trap to make sure that they did blaspheme. He admits his anger toward them in verse 11. I was so furiously enraged at them. He just, it was like gnawing at him inside. Well, what's important is that he wasn't alone, that he had encouragement. He was encouraged, or I like to say he was enabled by other people. The chief priests gave him authority to hunt down, hunt down and punish the people that he hated. So he had people behind him. You say, they, they were saying, go, go, Saul, go for it. We, we got your back. He carried papers from these authorities to foreign cities that he says in verse 11. 
He wasn't content to persecute them in his hometown of Jerusalem. He had to go out farther and farther, taking papers that would condemn others. Clearly, he was not alone in his hatred. Now, he didn't want to just simply silence his enemies. He wanted to destroy the opposition. He says he cast his vote against them when they were being condemned to death. It's recorded in verse 10. And earlier than that, we learned that, that he held the cloaks of people who picked up stones to stone Stephen, who was, who was an early disciple of Christ. Uh, he, he was selected, if you remember, to take care of the widows and others that were in need. Stephen was a young man, and, and he also shared his faith openly. And so he was dragged out in the middle of the street, and he was stoned to death. And where was Paul? As a young man, he was, he was kind of in the wings, holding the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen to death. Paul, you see, was consumed by his hatred. He was like a time bomb, just ready to explode. A man, unfortunately, ripe for self-destruction. Do you know anybody like that? Have you, have you seen examples of that in your own life or in the papers? That's when Jesus intervened. On the road to Damascus, Saul was carrying these papers that would allow him to arrest people in Damascus that were followers of Christ and bring them back to Jerusalem where they would be tried and perhaps even executed as Stephen was. And that's when this great light from heaven just kind of appeared out of nowhere. And Saul falls to the ground. And out of that, out of that great light comes a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. Now, I kind of created my own little goad here. Um, Phil says that I lost... I've missed my calling that I should have been an elementary school teacher because I've, I'm constantly making props. But this, this is uh, kind of like what a prod would have been in the time of Jesus. Today, this would be, um, you know, it, it, would, it would have an electric uh, current in it. And so uh, what you would do is you would guide various uh, large animals and so today, if you hit them, it, it would shock them, you know. Uh, but in Jesus' day, all it was was a long pole with, with a sharp end. And so often they would use this, as you see in this picture, uh, when the ox, oxen are, uh, you know, pulling the plow, they could kind of make sure that the oxen are keeping on a straight line. Or if you needed them to turn, you could do that with your prod. So... Uh, with your goad, which is a, a prod instrument. So um, what, what this voice from heaven is saying to Saul is that it hurts you to kick against the goad. It's here, the, the goad is meant to prod you in the right direction and you're just kicking against it. You're, you know, and you're only going to hurt yourself. You're not going to hurt anybody else. You're going to hurt yourself. Now that voice identifies itself as the voice of Jesus. So Jesus tells him when he, when he falls to the ground, he, he's blinded uh, and probably more blinded by his own hatred and his rage than he is by the, by the light, but, but he's blinded. And, and this voice of Jesus calls out to him, says, get up, get up and stand on your feet. And, and Jesus tells him, I, I have something for you to do. I've got a, I've got a plan for you. And what he says is, I will rescue you 
from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Do you hear what he's saying? I will rescue you. In other words, he's the one who's really kind of enslaved. He's, he's caught up in his, his own anger and hatred toward others. And, and, and he's saying, I'm going to rescue you from your people, the people back there that are enabling you in your rage. I'm going I'm to free you from them because they're playing a part in this, because they're encouraging you. They're giving you the authority to do what you're doing. I'm going to rescue you from your people, and I'm also going to rescue you from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. I'm going to, I'm going to rescue you from the hatred that you have for them by sending you to them. I'm going to, I'm going to make them be your friends. That's what I'm going to do for you. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Well, I'd like to suggest there are a lot of Saul's among us. I call them Christian Pharisees. They are so zealous in their faith, they cannot stand people who differ from them. And they are absolutely convinced that they are right. They have probably grown up in an environment insulated from others. And they have have an understanding of God, what's right and wrong. And it's so solidified in their mind that anything that differs from that is the opposition, it's the enemy. They surround themselves with like-minded people who say the same things, who, who, who encourage and enable them in their hatred. And they will often leave the church at the slightest provocation. I've often said that uh, everyone, every one of you have in your back pocket an ace. You know what the ace is? When things get tough, things don't go the way we want it to go, you pull out your ace. I'm going to leave. I'm just going to take my bat and ball and go home. That's the ace that too many Christians hold in their pockets. You know, That ace is not meant to be played. Now, if you don't believe that there are Christian Pharisees among us, if you can't imagine that you or I could be a Christian Pharisee, I want you to consider some of these hot topics and ask yourself. Now, listen, it, it matters not which side of the equation you find yourself on. You can be just as zealous on one side or the other. And I want you to kind of ask yourself, am I a a Christian Pharisee? Am I like Saul? I am so convinced that I am right. I'll throw out some topics. Homosexuality, abortion, evolution, women priests, sanctuaries, statues, confederate flags. Have Have I missed anybody? Have you ever found yourself so absolutely sure you are right that you are blinded by the prodding of God? Saul was absolutely convinced that he was doing God's will. He was a religious man. He knew his Bible better than you and I. And he was absolutely convinced he was 
doing the right thing when he went to Damascus that day. And so are the people today who blow up planes and buildings and drive trucks into crowds of pedestrians. They're just as convinced that they're right. So are the people who refuse to believe that people can have a different theological or political belief and yet be good, God-fearing people. You know, one of the really true blessings of this congregation, I've told many people that I have run into in other parts of our conference, one of the things that I feel so blessed about is that this congregation really does have people that go across the political and theological spectrum from one end to the other. Now, you may not know that because you may be part of a group on one end or the other or somewhere in the middle, but I as pastor, and Phil probably is in the same, you know, I sit and listen to people across the spectrum from one end to the other. And you know what? It's a blessing. It's not easy, (laughs) but it is a blessing, a true blessing. But there are Pharisees among us. There are Pharisees among us who would destroy that. Not just in this church. I mean, they would destroy it in in our land, in in our culture, in the church at large. Because, you know, they've got... You know, they've got these blinders and and they know where they are going and everybody outside of their vision, they just don't belong as far as they're concerned. Well, God wants to rescue a few Pharisees. Just like God rescued Saul that day on the road to Damascus. He wants to rescue some Christian Pharisees among us. Jesus said to Saul, it hurts you to kick against the goads. The way I put it is in the title of my message this morning, kick another and you kick yourself. I've also said it this way, vengeance slays the avenger. Oh, you, you, you know, we think when we hate someone, when we, when we, when we vehemently disagree with them and, and we want to shut them down, you know, we think we're hurting them, but we're hit or hurting ourselves more than we are. We're kicking against that that prod that God has sent our way, that goad, who's trying, God is trying to direct our path and all we do is kick against it. And all we do is hurt ourselves. Our hatred toward others becomes a kind of cancer that eats us out from inside out, you know, destroys us. Isaac Newton put it this way in his third law of motion. I don't know if you remember this from your high school days. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Think about it. Throw out your bitterness. Throw it out there at somebody else. Throw out your anger. Throw out your hatred, and it will come back at you. It will return to you in equal measure. Jesus said, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He was talking perhaps to Peter or one of the other disciples, depending on which story you read in the Gospels. John said it was Peter, but the other Gospels say it was just one of the disciples. Could have been us. They did not want 
those soldiers to take Jesus away in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Peter, or one of the others, pulled a sword and chopped off the ear of one of the slaves that was accompanying the soldiers. Jesus stopped him, healed, healed the slave, and said, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He was saying, you're, you're just going to, you're just harming yourself. If you, if you think you're, you're protecting me, you're not. And you're certainly not protecting yourself. See, Jesus was showing him a better way, the way of love. I think it's a fitting symbolism that when Saul fell to the ground, he was blinded. I don't know. I, maybe he was blinded by the light, but I think he was really already in the process of being blinded by his hatred. Have you, have you ever been so angry that you, that you just can't see straight? <laughs> and who should God send to, to Saul but his very enemy, Ananias, who, who probably was one of the people on his list that he was going to persecute that he was going to go arrest. Well, it was Ananias that was sent to Saul to restore his sight. Abraham Lincoln said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? That's what God was doing with Saul. Well, see, God wants to restore our sight. He wants to restore the sight of all the Christian Pharisees among us. God wants to free us from our self-righteous anger toward others because you see God knows when we kick others we simply kick ourselves I've uh, told this story before but it's worth retelling about the two monks that were walking along the river they they had taken a vow of silence they weren't supposed to speak to each other and certainly not to anyone else and uh, they had other other regulations they were not supposed to speak to a woman not touch a woman and and um as they walked along the river, they came to um, a young woman who was standing by the bank. She was crying. She was all dressed in her finest, finest gown. And she wanted to get on the other side of the river, but she saw no way of doing that without, without really messing up her clothes. And so she was weeping there. And so one of the monks offered his assistance and picked her up and carried her across the river and placed her on the other side. And the two monks then continue their journey. And all the while, the, the monk who did not help the woman fumed. And you could just see in his face, the, it got redder by the moment. And mile after mile as they walked, he just, it, it just started welling up within him. He was so angry with his brother that finally he broke the silence and he said, How dare you, brother, that you would do what you did with that woman? How dare you? Picking her up and carrying her across the river, you know we're not supposed to do that. And the woman and the the man, the monk who had done the good deed, turned to his outraged friend. And he said, you know, I picked her up, carried her across the river, and sat her down miles ago, hours ago. But you have been carrying her ever since. That's the way it is, you see, with anger and hatred. We, we carry it. It becomes a burden to us. It destroys us. Who do you find difficult to love in your life? 
someone who threatens your understanding of God or the Bible or society? Are there, are there people out there that you, you see their pictures in the paper and you just get so angry and you and just things that people say and you just find yourself, you, you just, oh, who is it that you find difficult to love? Consider that God may very well have sent such people to you as a goad, you know, to prod you to shape your direction, to guide you in a way that you never would have planned to go. Sometimes when we are most zealous in what we believe, that is when we are on the verge of our greatest fall. The story is told of a lay person in a church that was tidying up after the service and went up to the pulpit and noticed that the the pastor had left his notes on the pulpit and started collecting the papers and then he noticed it was a typewritten sermon but but in the margin there were there were notes handwritten notes and he noticed in one place in the sermon he read these words raise your voice pound your fists on the pulpit Your argument is weak here. (laughs) Sometimes when we are most zealous, when we are most outraged, that is when our argument is the weakest. God is calling to us in our blindness. Why are you persecuting me? Why, Why are you after me? Don't you see it hurts you? To kick against the goads. Kick another and you kick yourself. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for thinking we know more than you. (laughs) We really do want to do the right thing and we really do want to be faithful. Sometimes, Lord, we get caught up in our in our sense of right and wrong, and, we, and everybody that's different from us, we just put them down as being wrong. Forgive us, Lord. We don't really mean to be that way, but we are mean sometimes. So prod us a little bit with your goads. Direct our path and restore our sight. Amen.